All right, well, good morning. Well, we um, come to Palm Sunday, the beginning of uh, Passion Week, uh, leading up to the crucifixion of, of the Lord Jesus, which we'll uh, celebrate on Friday uh, with our Good Friday service. I uh, hope you'll be a part of that. Um, it, it's just, in, in, as I thought about this morning and I thought about today, I thought about this week, what, what incredible stakes there are um, connected to this week in history. I mean, if you think about this, the greatest event, the most uh, significant event in human history happened this week, nearly 2,000 years ago, uh, this coming week with uh, the passion of Jesus that culminated in the crucifixion, uh, which ultimately resulted uh, in the resurrection, which we celebrate next week. But, but I mean, as I thought about that, man, just imagine that this week is, is the week that really defines human history. I mean, the cross split time in half, B.C. and A.D. And not only does what happens or what we celebrate that transpired this week so many years ago not only does it define human history in, in so many terms, but it shapes eternal destiny. And what you and I, what we do with, and how we respond to what happened that first Easter week, if you like that term, uh, really sets the tone for life and determines where we spend eternity. And so it's an incredible thought to think about. And so as we, as we celebrate today and talk about what we're going to cover, and, and as we go through this week, I hope you'll think about, uh, so often we get caught up in the, the mundane things of life, but, but we need to think about this week because it's so incredibly significant to our life and to our eternity. And so as we dwell on that and think about that, I want us to think about, um, with that as a backdrop, I want us to turn our attention uh, to uh, the book of Hebrews. I mean, think about this. Eternity's in the balance. And so we want to turn our attention to, to really uh, one of the things that really distinguishes Jesus uh, from anyone else and from any other religion, but most specifically uh, to Judaism in the Old Testament. So turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. The title of today's message is... Uh, Extremely original. If you look on the back of your program, it's Better is Better, Part 3. It took me a long time to come up with that. I, I thought about it all the way to North Carolina. and, and uh, so, um, But it just took some time to come up with such a catchy title. But whether original or not, or catchy or not, it's significant because better is better. And the writer of Hebrews has spent the substance of this book, talking about how Jesus is better. He's better than angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the Old Testament priesthood. He's be- I mean, he, and he just goes along. Three, two weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus' priesthood, which mirrors that guy's name we can't hardly pronounce, Melchizedek. It's after the order of him. So Jesus has a better priesthood. Last week, if you were not with us, we discovered uh, that, that Jesus offers a better covenant. And the reason is because he's a better priest and that he made better promises. His promises are internal, not external. His promises are personal. I mean, Jesus made some promises to you personally. 
and to me personally, and they're real, uh, his, his covenant is better because he's merciful and gracious. Not, he, he doesn't stand to condemn us, but offers mercy and grace. And, and so we come today to the third better. And what I want to talk about this morning is that while the new covenant was better than the old, the, the new sacrifice was better than the old. We've been singing about the blood. And let me just go ahead and say this out, get this out in the open right now. If you're not yet a follower of Christ or you're kind of new to this and, and you come in and, and you hear us singing about the blood, you might think, man, this is a little odd. But I want to tell you, uh, there's a biblical principle is that sin kills. And because sin has to be paid for, sin demands a death. Always in Scripture, sin demanded a death. Uh, the Scripture says the soul that sins shall die. It goes on to say, if we look, we'll look at uh, maybe next week or the following. Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Because, of a, because our God is holy, He can't just say, hey, that's okay. I know you messed up. Somebody's got to pay. But because he is gracious, Jesus chose to pay. And he offers a better sacrifice. Let's read about that. Look down in your Bibles there with me. We've got a big section that we're going to cover this morning. But uh, join me there, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. Think sanctuary, an earthly sanctuary. For a tent was prepared, the first section, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which also was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. But of these things we cannot speak now in detail, or now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. But into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people." By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is yet is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation." But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, think most holy place there, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh... How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Shall we pray together? Father, uh, this text is rich. It's deep. It's theological. It can be confusing. 
and hard to follow, but it is filled with absolute truth that can change not simply our life, but our eternal destiny. And God, as we unpack this text this morning, this part of Scripture, I pray that you'd open the eyes of our heart that we might see the truth of the gospel. And Lord, for the man or woman, the young person that's here and and doesn't yet have a vibrant living relationship with Jesus, I pray they would see that he made a better sacrifice that will change their life. For those of us that follow Christ, that may be struggling with maybe some sin or some guilt associated with some of our choices or some of our past, God, I pray that you'd open the eyes of our hearts so we might see that we can be free. So God, speak into our life and we'll be careful to give the glory and the honor and the praise to Jesus because he alone is worthy. For it's in his name I pray, amen. Amen. Well, if you followed me along, and as many of you did, uh, man, what a, there's a lot here, and it's kind of challenging to follow. And so I want to kind of, I'm just going to kind of summarize today. I don't know if you noticed, uh, the writer, uh, identified some shortcomings, if you will, of the old covenant. Now, he kind of began by talking about how, you know, the old covenant had some instructions about worship. And it had instructions about the sanctuary. To the Jewish person who the audience was, they were Jewish, it was easy for them to understand. They knew about the sanctuary. They knew about the inside and the outside or the first and the second. And so it was really easy for them to follow. But for you and me, it's not so easy unless you're Jewish to kind of follow along. And so what I want to do real quickly is I want to give you a little bit of a picture, if you will, of, of what he was talking about. In order for them to, to have their sins covered over, at least temporarily, they had to go to the tabernacle. They had to go through sacrifices and they had to go through offerings and they had to do these different things. And it happened in what it calls there a tent or a tabernacle. And so I want to just show you a couple things about that. So if we can get our, uh, let me just get our, our, uh, Visual or visual up here. Just imagine with me that this is the uh, the Old Testament tabernacle. Uh, what the writer was talking about here, and I just want to show you a couple of things. Uh, the whole thing in in its entirety is called the tabernacle. This big section here would be called the outer court. Jewish people could go into this outer court with their sacrifices and with their offerings. And they could bring them in and they could bring a burnt offering or they could bring a gift. And on the Day of Atonement, they would kind of bring it in there. But uh, but only Jews could go in here. Notice there's only a door. Then there's this smaller building, which is really the the, the two tents. There's a little uh, description up here. The, the first is called the holy place. And the priests could go in the holy place and they went in the holy place day after day after day and they would they would do their ritual thing and they would make some offerings and burn some incense and light the candles and, and do some different things. But only the priests could go in here. And then in the back, you, it's hard to see, there's one little section about 15 by 15. It's typified right there. That's called the most holy place. That's where God's presence would reside and only one guy could get in, and he could only get in one day a year. And, and as we'll see in a moment, it, it, it actually—you know—it was—it was a, a, a challenging thing. And, and so, if you'll notice here, the Gentiles, which would be you and me, 
They couldn't get in. And if they even got, there was a court of the Gentiles, but it's kind of out here. They could never get past there. And so the old sacrifice had some issues because uh, it, it had limitations. Now let's talk about it real quickly. Let me just point out some things. This here is what we'd call the bronze altar. It was about four and a half foot square, and that's where the, they would sacrifice. Uh, the, the animals would be sacrificed and the burnt offerings would be offered there. This is called the bronze labor. The priests, particularly the high priest, they would have to wash their hands, sometimes wash their feet, sometimes they'd have to bathe completely. Uh, and they did that and they had to do all that before they could go in here every day to, to make the offerings. Well, once you get inside this little building where they did their ritualistic work, the priests, day after day after day after day after day, uh, there were three particular pieces of furniture in there. There was, first there was a, a, a lamp stand and there were seven different little lamps, um, and they were filled with pure olive oil, and they would light up this place for them to do their work. Second piece of furniture in there uh, was the table of presents, or your text may say the table of bread. They would, they would lay out 12 loaves of, of what they called the showbread, but it represented the presence of God, and one for each tribe of Israel, how God journeyed with them through the wilderness. And then there was another item, and you can see it way back here, kind of the number four right there. And that was a, the altar of incense. And, and obviously, uh, they would burn incense there. And, and then on the Day of Atonement, they would take part of that. The high priest would when he went into the holy place. When you get into the most holy place back here, there was one piece of furniture. And anybody remember the Raiders of the Lost Ark? Anybody? Yeah, there's a few of us that are old enough to remember that. Uh, they were searching for the ark. That's kind of what that movie was found on. And, you know, don't get your theology from there. But the ark that they were looking for is what we would call the ark of the covenant. It was about three and a quarter foot long, about two and a quarter high, and about two and a quarter wide. Made of wood, covered with gold, inside and out. There were three items inside. There was an urn or a jar that held the manna, which is uh, God commanded that they save some in the Old Testament, put in the ark to remind the people that God met their needs and he provided everything they needed. Second item in there was the, the Aaron's staff that budded that he used in, uh, to, to typify the power of God. And then there were the tablets with the Ten Commandments, the two tablets with the law. And all that's inside this ark. Then on top of that ark was a lid called the mercy seat. And, and on the ends of that mercy seat were these two little cherubims, which we would think of as, as you know, angels. And they guard it. They kind of overlook the mercy seat. And the reason all that's significant is because God's told Moses in Exodus 25, my presence in the whole, in the most holy place, I will meet the high priest above the mercy seat. And so when the high priest went into that place on that one day a year, he had to take blood with him and sprinkle it on that mercy seat. And what's kind of interesting is inside that ark was the law and the blood sprinkled on the mercy seat symbolized that the blood covered the broken law. Because they all broke the law, just like we all broke the law. And so that's kind of a that's kind of a snapshot of what happens and what the writer was talking about. Now it'd be really easy right now to say, okay, let's let's look at the typology and let's talk about how how Jesus fulfills all of that. Because hey, Jesus, there's one gate in. And Jesus is the one way into heaven, right? And then we could talk about what well, Jesus is the sacrifice. And then we could talk about Jesus cleanses us. And we could talk about Jesus is the light of the world. And we could just go on down the list and talk about, man, here's how Jesus fulfills all that stuff. 
The problem is, the writer said there in the end of verse 5, he says, we're not going to stop and talk about that right now. So what he was saying is, that how Jesus relates to that, that's really not the point. And so what I want us to discover this morning, what was his point? Look down at verse 6. He, he gives us a couple things, but verse 6 says this. It says, these preparations having thus been made. In other words, we get all that stuff ready and the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes and he but once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. Now, now watch this. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates the way into the holy place is not yet open. Now, here's what that means. Here, here's what that says to us. The old sacrifice was weak for two reasons. The first reason is nobody could get to God through here. When you look at that, because God's presence would dwell right there, when nobody could get there except the high priest, he could only go one day a year, and he couldn't stay. I mean, he went in and sprinkled blood, came back out and got some more, and went in and sprinkled blood, and he hoped he got out with his life. And that was the deal. And so the old covenant, the old sacrifice could get nobody into God's presence. And so it was weak and it was ineffective because it allowed no one to get to God. Now, as we look at that, and I think we need to stop here for just a moment, in verse 7, notice what it says. He goes in there once a year, but not without taking blood. And you say, well, why does that matter? Why is that significant? Here's what I think is lost on modern Christianity. Here's what's lost a lot of times in, in my life and Hopefully not in your life, but in many of our lives and in the church. What's lost upon us is the holiness of God. See, we take for granted that we can bow our head and pray whenever we want. That we can come and sing songs of worship whenever we want. Man, they couldn't do that. They couldn't get into God's presence. And the only way this one guy could go, he had to go. If he didn't go with blood, he didn't come back. And so this speaks to uh, the, the old sacrifice couldn't get sinful men into the presence of a holy God. And so we needed a, a bridge. We needed a mediator. And so along came Jesus. And so that was the first weakness. But, but notice there was a second issue. Look down at verse, I think it's verse 9, where it says, According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifice are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Did you know the Jews had the same problem we have? They had a guilty conscience. They, they had guilt because they sinned. Same problem we have. We have guilt. And sometimes we have a guilty conscience. Why, why do we do that? Because we sin. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And sin is guilt. And guilt brings a guilty conscience. And so we have the same issue that they had. They have the same issue that we had. And that is a, is a guilty conscience. Now you might, some of you might be, be thinking, man, how do you have the audacity to, to stand up there and say that, that, that all of us have a guilty conscience? Well, because we're all human. We, born in us, natural to us, is the idea that we do things we shouldn't do. And it, and it, 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 it results in guilt. Uh, I mean, think about, you know, you tell your kids they can't have a cookie. Then you put them to bed. And when your wife goes to brush her teeth, you, you sneak into the kitchen to the cookie jar. Well, why do you sneak? Because you know, hey, because there's some guilt affiliated with that, right? Or, 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 or you sneak 
uh, the, the freezer drawer open so you can get some ice cream? Well, why do we, why do we sneak? Because w- there's a tinge of guilt. If you watch a, drama, a, a, a TV show, a drama on TV, when they're about to break in a window or go in a door, when they're about to go somewhere they shouldn't go, what do they do? What do they always do, it seems like, on TV? They look over this shoulder and they look over that shoulder. Why do they do that? Because guilt, their, their conscience says you're about to do something you shouldn't do. That's why we like to have a friend with us when we get in trouble. We, we don't want to go it alone. I mean, how many of us, have, you know, we want an accomplice? Because listen, it's built into us. There, there's guilt. Sin, sin causes guilt. We are guilty. And because we're guilty, we have a guilty conscience. Well, the problem with the old covenant, the old sacrifice, man, they could, they could bring the lamb and slaughter him, or the priest could slaughter him for him, and they could sprinkle the blood, but it didn't take away the guilt. It wouldn't perfect their conscience. And so the writer says that we need we needed a new uh, sacrifice. So look in verse 11. Notice what he says. Uh, chapter 9, verse 7. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, he entered once for all into the holy places. Look at this. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Now, I, I want to I I help us understand. The, the, point, the whole point of this section is that there's a better sacrifice. The old one wasn't good enough because the old one couldn't get us to God, number one. And number two, the old one couldn't cleanse our conscience. It couldn't take away the guilt. And so there's a new, or if you will, a better sacrifice. And here's what's kind of interesting that, that I want to say even before. I'm going to give you two ways that the sacrifice is better. But, but think about this. When, when, they took a, when they took a sacrifice uh, to, can we, get the, can we get that back up? Uh, the little thing. Just imagine with me that you're, uh, you're a little Jewish family and, and, and you, you've kind of done some things you shouldn't have done. Maybe you, maybe you took some of the neighbor's corn and didn't tell them and and you're really feeling guilty, and so you know you need to take a sin offering. And so you go up here, you take a little lamb, and you go up here, and you go inside the gate, and you go over here to the priest, and they take that little lamb from you. Well, the interesting thing is when they took that lamb, the lamb never willingly offered itself as a sacrifice. That, that uh, this bronze altar had a, had horns on every corner so they could tie the sacrifice so it wouldn't get away. Because no, no animal ever went up to the priest and stuck out its head so they could cut its throat and make it bleed. No animal wants to die, just like no person wants to die for someone else. Now you say you're being very morbid. Well, I have a point to this. Listen, Jesus wanted to die. Jesus offered himself willingly. Now, a lamb would never do that. I mean, if you've ever been a part of a uh, slaughtering an animal for anything, what you'll discover, listen, they, they want to run. They want to get away. They want to escape. Jesus chose not to escape. The Bible says he set his face like Flynn and went to Jerusalem. The Bible says in John chapter 10, we won't go there, John 10, verse 17 and 18, Jesus said uh, that I lay down my life for the sheep. 
And I do it of my own accord. I do it of my own authority. I have the power to take it up. And I have the power to lay it down. So understand that Jesus willingly, willingly offered himself on the cross. So think about that Friday when when we remember the crucifixion. Think about how willing Jesus was to spread his arms and die for you and me. It was a willing sacrifice, but it was a better sacrifice. Two reasons why it was better. First of all, it was better because it could pardon our sin. Look down in your Bibles there at verse 12. It says, thus securing an eternal redemption. Thus securing an eternal redemption. Uh, redemption is an interesting term. In the uh, uh, Tom Nelson pointed out in his work on this text, there are four different words uh, for redemption, but the idea is to purchase or to buy back, if you will. Often it was used in the slave trade. And what they would do, what you could do is if someone was in slavery, you could purchase them in the marketplace. In one term, uh, in the original, agorizo literally means to purchase in the marketplace. And so the first idea to redeem is to to buy a slave out of the market. The second word, the second idea is to then take that slave and set him or her free. And, And then the third idea is to redeem, is to take them, to set them free, and then to draw them close to you. And then the third term, or the fourth term, which is the one used uh, in view here in, in our text, is the original word is latruo, but it means to set the captive free. And so what the writer was saying is that Jesus gave a sacrifice that is able to set the captive free. So hold on to that thought because we'll come back. But I want you to, I want you to see what's interesting about the, Jesus was willing to pay the price to set the captive free. The word secure in the ESV, uh, you may have obtained, depending on your translation, you may see the word obtain. There's a number of different words for obtain in, in the, in the scriptures. This one was only used once, may have actually been created for this very purpose. But, but the idea is that, uh, that to obtain or to secure something, you're willing to pay whatever the cost. And so think about this. Jesus' sacrifice for you and me is better because he was willing to pay whatever the cost to set us free. Tom Nelson told a story. Uh, the guy's name was Samuel uh, I don't even remember his name, but him and his wife, they were very well off. They, they really, there was a, there was an item, a collectible, I think it was a, some type of tapestry that they really wanted for their home and, and they looked for it wherever they went and it turns out his wife went to Europe and she found this, this item, this piece of tapestry, this beautiful piece that they'd been looking for. And so she telegraphed her husband and said, I found the item and it was like 25000 What should I do? And so he telegraphs her back and says, no, price too high. 
And so a few days later, she shows up at home and she's just beaming. And she says, honey, uh, this is this thing's just the most beautiful. Thank you so much for allowing me to buy this. He says, did you not get my telegraph? She says, yeah, I got it. He says, look here. It says, no price too high. No price too high. What the writer was saying, Jesus looked down at you and me, and he, even in, in our sin and even in our shortcomings, and he said, there's no price too high. And so he went in and gave his blood, sacrificed his life, so he could secure for you and me an eternal redemption. In other words, so he could set us free Forever, And so when, when we look at, at, at why this sacrifice is better, first of all, it's better because it pardons our sin. It, it, forgives, it takes away our sin. It gives us eternal redemption. It sets us free. But there's a second reason. Look there in verse um, 14, 13 and 14. Not, not only does his sacrifice of his blood pardon our sin and set us free, but it says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, when through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So, so here's, here's the thing. N- not only did, did uh, Jesus' sacrifice open a way into the presence of God, not only did it pardon or offer pardon and forgiveness for our sins, but the text says here that the blood of Jesus can purify our conscience from dead works so we can serve the living God. Now, I talked about the issue the Jews had is one of the issues was the guilty conscience. And, and if you've never given your life to, to Jesus Christ, you have the issue not only of a guilty conscience, but the guilt of sin. Because the soul that sins shall die. Somebody's got to pay. Jesus said, I'll pay for you. But you've got to accept his payment. If not, then you, you're guilty. But, but more than that, even for believers, this issue of, of guilt is, is, is a major thing. Some of you here today, there's something that happened in your past. It may have been your recent past. It may be your distant past, but there's something there. And when you think about it, you feel guilty. When you think about it, you may even feel, you may even have a sense of shame. And, and, and you don't want anybody to know about it. And, and nobody needs to know about it. But, but there's just this, there's just, there's just guilt. That just won't seem to go away. Now, Jesus came to take that away. Let me give you an example. I mean, think about this. You buy yourself, little Johnny gets, for Easter next Sunday, gets a brand new pair of white socks, basketball socks. Perfectly white. He plays around the house. He's running around and all excited. I mean, maybe they got the Spurs logo on top or whatever. But, but anyway, he's got this nice pair of white socks. And, and then when mom's not looking, little Johnny exits out the door into the backyard. And you know, it's been raining and the grass is growing and you know, the little bluebells are coming up. And you know, and you know what happens when you start playing and running. And little Johnny's out there about an hour and he looks down and his white socks, they're not white anymore. They're green. Can I get a witness? Anybody? You, you understand? You're with me. All right. So little Johnny goes back inside and when mama sees him, he can tell. He can, he can read the look on her face. Mommy, I'm sorry. I forgot to put on my shoes. Will you forgive me? 
And it's Easter. Mama, it's Easter. And so she says, yeah, Johnny, I'll forgive you. And so she pardons his sin. But the problem, she's forgiven his sin, but guess what? The stain is still there. And so not only does he have to seek pardon, but he has to bring the stain to mom. And, and, and mom takes, when he brings the stain to mom and brings the socks to mom, she takes, what is it, shout? Is it the shout out? Or she puts the shout on him or tie, whatever you, lose, you use, and she puts that on him, and, and she takes away the stain. She forgives the offense, but she removes the stain. Now here's, listen, listen. When you come to Jesus... When you give your life to Jesus, He takes away and pardons the sin. But He will also take away the stain. You're thinking, but so why do I still feel guilty? Here's why. Because you've not decided to trust that Jesus' sacrifice is better. Because the scripture says that when he removes our sin, in fact, uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians 5, about verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling men to himself, not counting their sins against them. So, so here's what you need to know. If, if you are saved and if you've asked God to forgive your sin and you're still thinking about it, God's not talking to you because God is not counting your sin against you. He takes it away. And so, so the reason this, his sacrifice is better is because it, yeah, it brings us into his presence. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But yes, it takes away our sin, but also it'll take away your guilt. And that's what Jesus can do for you. Now, why does he do that? Look at the end of verse 14 real quickly. To, to purge or perfect or purify your conscience from dead works. Really, that's not talking about sin as much as it is about religious works. But, but he purges our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Listen, you, you know how Jesus wants to pardon you? And to purify you? Because he wants to use you. He, he wants to use you. He wants you to be involved. He wants you to be engaged in the work of ministry. And so, I mean, think about this. There's so many ways to serve God, but, but man, there's no better way. I mean, there's no better time right now. No better thing you can do than to invite somebody uh, to hear about Jesus or, or to be able to share about Jesus. Man, this is a great week. I mean, this is Easter week. If you ever wanted to invite somebody or ever wanted to have a conversation with somebody about Jesus, if you ever want to invite somebody to worship, man, there's no better week than this week. Because everybody's thinking about Easter. I mean, even, I mean, lots of people, they think about Easter. And so that's a great way for you to do that. Uh, you need to be willing, we need to be willing to serve the living God. Now, why should we do that? Why, why should we do that? Because we've been set free. Because we've been made free. Why would we not want everybody else to experience what we've experienced? Why would you want to keep this 
to yourself. See, see, Jesus secured for us an eternal redemption. He has set us free forever. Let me, let me tell you a quick story and, and, and we'll be done. Uh, A.J. Gordon, a, a great famous, I guess, preacher of yesteryear. You might say, well, famous, I've never heard of him. But, but he, was, he was a great preacher. And he, sometimes he preached, uh, he would even bring a birdcage up and he would sit on the platform. And, and the reason he did that is, is one afternoon he was walking through his community and he stumbled onto a little boy and the little boy had a, had a birdcage, had a couple sparrows inside. And, uh, being a kind of a nature lover to some extent, Reverend Gordon said, Sonny, uh, can I see your birds? And he goes, ah, these are just, they're just common sparrows. They're, they're not anything. He said, well, I'd like to look at them. And, and he looks at him and says, well, son, what are you going to do with him? He says, well, I'm going to go home. And, you know, I trapped him. So I'm going to go home and play with him a little while and just kind of mess around with him. He said, well, then what are you going to do with him? He says, he says, I don't know. I may feed him to the cat or uh, I may just kill him. He says, you know, they're not really worth much. And, and they can't sing. They can't really do anything. And so Reverend Gordon says, well, would you be willing to sell him? And he said, well, you don't want these. They, I mean, they can't say, they can't do anything. I mean, they're, they're just common. They're, they're worthless. He says, I, what will you take? And the little boy, he said, will you take $2? The little boy says, man, are you crazy? He says, if you give me $2, you can have the birds and the cage. So he gave him $2. The little boy goes on about his way. And, and Gordon goes around the corner. He opens the gates. And he taps on the bottom of the cage. And out the little birds, the little sparrows go. And, and as, the, as the story goes, he says, it seems like they were singing on the way out, redeemed, redeemed, redeemed. In other words, I've been set free, I've been set free, I've been set free. And so he uses that cage as a picture to remind people that when you come to Jesus, you can be set free. Your sins can be taken away and your guilt can be removed. And so as we enter into this time of Easter week and Passion Week, I, I want to ask you, have you been set free by the blood of Jesus? Have you been redeemed? That redemption, remember, it's eternal. That's forever. Jesus wants to set you free. And if you you say, well, Pastor, I, I'm free. I've been saved. Some of you here have been saved, but you you got that nagging guilt, that fear, that worry. And I just want to tell you, on the authority of the Word of God, the blood of Jesus doesn't just take away your sin. The blood of Jesus take away the stain. Let's pray together. Father, uh, as we unpack a text like this, there's so much there. Uh, Lord, I hope that, that we wrap our mind around the, the main point. And the point is that, that Jesus' sacrifice is better. And the reason it's better is it can take away the sin and it can take away the guilt. And Father, I know in, the, in, in an auditorium, in a group this size, there's some people that have yet to follow Jesus. And so, because they've never followed, never chosen to surrender to Jesus, their guilt's never been taken away. It's there. They've never been pardoned. And Father, Jesus came 
so they could be free. And my hope and my prayer is that today they would be willing to surrender their life to Jesus Christ and be saved. And Father, others, maybe lots of others, are believers. But there's just this guilt. There's just this thing that happened back there somewhere. And they think, man, God could never, God would never let that go. God could never take that away. Father, I'm telling, I'm saying on the authority of the word of the living God, you are in Christ reconciling men to yourself, not counting our sins against us. And I want to say to that man, I want to say to that that woman, I want to say to that young person, when you bring that to the cross, and when you repent and seek forgiveness, Father, the blood of Jesus takes away the guilt and takes away the stain. And I know there's some this morning that need to be set free. God, my prayer and my hope is that today they would come and they would surrender to Jesus and they would allow him to take away their guilt and to take away their sin. So, Father, in these next moments, would you have your way in every heart and in every life and we'll give you the honor and the glory for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen.